bum bum bottom 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 You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four color realm. But in this episode, we're wading back into the comic convention circuit, discussing our experiences at this year's most excellent but a little surreal Baltimore Comic Con. <laughs> and we're talking with comic book creators Kat Calamia and Phil Falco about their Kickstarter campaign, Slice of Life. Yes, indeed. We just got back from the Baltimore Comic Convention. And man, did it feel good to be back in those long boxes, flipping through comics, haggling for prices. Uh, I just had missed it so much, and now we're back. It's a little different. It's a little different doing a convention in a pandemic, but but I feel like it was a great experience, Lisa. I'm a little thrown off by you saying haggling for prices. What is this haggling <laughs> for prices? We pay exactly how much somebody asks for, and we say Thank you very much, sir. Would you like more money? Uh, yeah, that's correct. I don't usually haggle myself, but when someone sees me like waffle a little bit at the price, they'll go like, ah, I'll give it to you for 20 bucks. <laughs> and then I just accept it. Our hardball indeed is very soft. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a soft hardball. It's, it's a, soft a waffling hardball. But soft that's ball. beside the point, Lisa. I asked you, what was your overall impression? I, I loved it. I think you had a great time as well. I had an amazing time. I got so much good stuff. But more than that, met some amazing people, got to chit-chat, and it felt good. Uh, I mean, this was the first time where, one, we went as press. This was the first time that Comic Book Couples Counseling had appeared anywhere officially as press. We had badges and everything. With our names on it. And that felt, like, incredible. It's, it said Comic Book Couples Counseling. It's such a validation, right? So that's amazing uh, just on its own for us personally. But this is also the first time we've gone as Comic Book Couples Counseling, and we had multiple people recognize us on the floor and call us out. So we have to say some thank yous. We got to say thank you to Scott, to Ken, to Kevin, to Steven. Well, we finally met Zach from Comics Bookcase. Yes, yes. I was very intimidated. He's very cool. I mean, he's super cool. And, and you know, we're very thirsty. We want to be <laughs> his friends and we desperately want to be cool around him. And I came in very hot. We, you know, an awkward meeting, awkward meeting. But he's such a red dude. He, he let our awkwardness just roll right over him. Took it like a boss. So even if this had not been a pandemic convention, it would have been a really unique convention. And I think that's something you can say about every Comic-Con. There is no normal. So when we do arrive and, you know, we have to go through a different process of vaccination verification, uh, I, like I can't get weird about it or upset about it because 
it's no real different than the weird things that inevitably pop up at any convention we attend. Yeah, there is like every every convention experience is unique, but then we still fall into our routine. You, right, right, right. We do right. walk into the exhibit floor and we do our like little grid pattern. Well, Brad does it. I have a terrible sense of direction, so I just <laughs> follow him around um, and we do one direction and then we do another direction we've patterned. We periodically check and recheck the panels as if our paper, you know, schedule will somehow have morphed and changed since the last time we looked in that little pamphlet. Yeah, that program stays the same on Friday, Friday afternoon, Friday evening, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. It never changes, but I keep checking it. It's like we're studying for a test we literally cannot fail because just being at a convention, you win. Whatever you participate in is wonderful and a great time and worthwhile. And yeah, yeah, I don't know why we get so sweaty about it. Because we love it so much, right? Like going to a convention is an opportunity to celebrate the thing that we love so much with other people. And it's been two years since we've gone to Baltimore Comic Con. And in that anticipatory two years, this, these very strange two years that we've had, like this con took on a meaning that other cons really have not had before. But then once you go to it, you know, you fall into that rhythm. It's it's kind of like any other con. Brad and I feel very privileged to have had the opportunity to go to a convention. Yeah. We know that everybody's situation is very different with access and health concerns or financial concerns. Baltimore is just an hour's drive from us, and we had scoped out the situation and everything seemed feasible to us, and we feel very lucky to have went. We know some of you are very eager to hear what the con experience is like in October 2021, and we're happy to be able to share it with you. We did a call for questions on our socials, and a few of you were kind enough to get back to us. So, Brad, let's A, some of those cues. Yeah, so the first one comes from I Comment on Comics on Twitter. As someone who can't wait to be able to get back to cons but has to be overly cautious for my wife's health, how were the protocols in place? Uh, great question. Uh, the convention itself was requiring vaccination verification or proof of a negative COVID test within the last 72 hours. And as you walked into the convention, they were providing temperature checks. And so if you failed that, then they booted you out. I was actually super impressed with the whole thing. Yes, the initial line was lengthy. But once you reached the front and you showed your vaccination card, you got an orange wristband that you could wear for the rest of the convention for a quicker entry. You didn't have to go and do the vaccination card again. They were also, if you didn't have a vaccination card, allowing you to get your COVID test, rapid test, on site. And they were enforcing that. The guy right in front of us did not have his vaccination card. He paid for the test and they were doing the tests like right outside. So if you wanted 
some kind of weird COVID show. <laughs> I guess you could sit there and watch the test. Well, I mean, you know, all that stuff going on did like grab your attention for the, you know, the first few hours. And of course, we're all wearing our masks. They were requiring masks as well. And that's something that you don't normally use in a convention. Although I may use a mask in a convention going forward, pandemic or not, uh, because I haven't been sick for two years of any kind. <laughs> and I really appreciate that. I love not having a cold. Another thing I thought that was super cool was they were also giving vaccinations on site, including boosters, and people were taking advantage of it. I think that once you enter a space where everybody is vaccinated for the most part, if you're somebody who's resistant or hesitant for one reason or another, and you just got your brain scraped outside, you might be a little bit more willing to get a poke or two. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very good point. Uh, you know, there were some people, you know, complaining about the length of the line and, you know, the, the, the time that it took to get inside. But honestly, the line wasn't that much longer than any other year I've attended to the ball at the Baltimore Comic Book mm -hmm. Convention. And, you know, frankly... You know, when you go to the San Diego Comic-Con and you get in the Hall H line, every year San Diego Comic-Con changes the rules and regulations around the Hall H line to help improve the efficiency of that line. And it's always an ordeal. It's always an ordeal. It's always frustrating. People, People are always complaining. Always complaining. But what you learn, having gone to that convention year after year after year, is that you know, it's part of the system. It's part of the experience. You know, what we always say on this podcast is you have to enjoy the line. You mm -hmm. have to make friends with people in the line. And we did that this year at Baltimore Comic-Con. And, you know, we got to play like, you know, recognize the cosplay. Who who could figure out what that cosplay was? Brad then, always wins. Uh, you know, I did pretty well this year. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, 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 and you get to meet new friends. You know, we got to pass out some of our stickers. And like, like that's like, I love all that it's stuff. It's part of the culture. Also, there's just a lot of people, you guys. <laughs> right, yeah. And we can't all be going through the front door at the same time. That would be dangerous. Right, right, right. Like, like it did create this weird, like this, this weird thing that once you were inside, because you had that orange wristband, you weren't maybe necessarily as excited to exit the convention center and go have a lunch or a crab cake at the Inner Harbor. Yeah, in in years past, we generally did like, we would do like a morning in the convention center, stay there until like two, pop out for a late lunch, a breath of fresh air, then dive back in. But- Getting out, you had to get a wristband to get back in. Yeah, and Brad and I band. didn't have the spoons <laughs> to figure out exactly how re-entry worked. And so um, I just lived on Diet Coke, I, I think. <laughs> I like it's it's that scarcity thing, right? Like we haven't had a comic convention in a very long time. So once we were in the convention, we didn't want to let go. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, no regrets. No regrets. No regrets. Uh, continuing that theme of questioning, at my ghost world on Twitter asks, were there any changes that you noticed for COVID that you'd like to see carried on for all cons going forward? And of course, was cosplaying in full force or were there a significantly fewer amount of cosplayers? Uh, so just like tackling that in two parts. To answer your first question, the face mask thing, you know, like I've we've gone to cons in the past and we've seen people with face masks on. And before the pandemic, you know, you'd go like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, but now, like, again, like I haven't had a cold in two years and it's not like I get con crud or festival crud every time I go to one of these things. But it has happened and it has been a real bummer. So I kind of feel like I'm going to keep the face mask thing for a little while, if not indefinitely. That's just something culturally I'd like to see. Like, if you nasty, if you have a cold or you're sick yeah. and you're snuffling around, just put a cap on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And like, I think about the 2019 San Diego Comic-Con where I was real sick, right? <laughs> Go back and listen to our Jason Muse episode where we're interviewing him and you could hear me barely in the background struggling through laryngitis. The fact that I didn't have a face mask on at that point or that I had recused myself from the con experience at all, in hindsight, doesn't look so good. <laughs> it doesn't look so hot. Um, though you always forget that my very first Comic-Con... I have not forgotten. I but. had full-on bronchitis. Right, right. And I was swigging codeine-laden <laughs> cough medicine from a bottle on the exhibit hall floor. Yeah, and I was just dragging you around. I was like, pick up the pace, Lisa. This is our first Comic-Con, and I will not let you ruin my experience. I was there to party, and I had scissor. I have no complaints. Uh, is there anything else you can think, Lisa, that you see going on at this con that you would like to continue to do or see continue to be practiced at other conventions? Honestly, once you got into the convention center, there were zero changes. Right, yeah, right. They right. didn't do any of that, like arrows on the floor, no. like crowd thing. There were, like, there were, like some people were practicing social distancing, but... We like what you know. When we get in those long boxes, we're still shoulder to shoulder. Like, hey, those are my destroyer ducks. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that no, nothing. Like, do I think they could have maybe done more? Yeah. Uh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Probably they um, they weren't policing social distancing or anything like that. So if that is a major concern of yours, yeah, that 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 would be a problem at this con. And like even in like the panels, right? We went to see Garth Ennis uh, talk about the boys, and you know, usually you know, do his usual rundown about preacher and stuff like that. And I was kind of expecting there to be some kind of social distancing occurring within the panel rooms, but. Not really, although I would say that people themselves kind of enforced some kind of social distancing. Yeah, if there's room. Yeah. Like, you know, we nobody chooses to sit right next to a stranger. If sure, they don't sure, have sure, to. sure. Um, but uh, we were all vaccinated or not COVID positive. So it's kind of like you have to pick and choose your battles. Right, right. Well, now, what about the other question? Did we see less cosplay this year? I would say, yeah, I think so. I would say definitely. And I, I wonder if um, some of that has to do with, like, I know, like, right up until they said that they were requiring vaccination cards, 
like I I had Baltimore Comic Con on my calendar, but I like I also had like one foot out the door. Like yeah, this I mean, isn't really going to happen. Originally in August we were going to go to Awesome Con and they were also requiring vaccination or a negative COVID test, but at that point we decided we were not ready. Mm-hmm. Um but like honestly, I think what ripped the band-aid for us whether this was smart or not, um, thanks to our pal Jason Ayers, uh, he got us tickets to see the WWE SmackDown event in Baltimore, and we couldn't let this incredible opportunity go by, so we agreed to do that, and we all filed into the arena. And uh, I like once once I did that, and once I got used to being in a crowd that size, and you know, two weeks after that event and I hadn't been struck down with COVID, I was like, okay, <laughs> maybe maybe I'm ready to, like, get back into the swing of things with conventions and concerts and whatnot. And again, I'm like, I don't, like, is that a smart thing? I don't know. It's <laughs> I just- was about to interrupt you because I'm like, I don't necessarily subscribe yeah. to in for a penny, in for a yeah, pound I'm, thinking. It's just, it's just where I am now. This is what we're doing. And, uh, you know. We don't have kids. Neither of us are immunocompromised. <laughs> like, obviously, Lisa and I feel weird about it. We may have made a mistake. Yeah. We don't know. This is our first pandemic. Yeah, all I know is I've, I had a really great time. <laughs> uh, but this leads into the next question. But I didn't actually, like, finish my thought. Oh, sorry. sorry. So, like, because none of us really felt like we were 100% going, maybe the more elaborate or, I mean, like, the super elaborate cosplayers were there. Yeah, they came out. And the people who could, who just barely ordered something on Amazon were there. The mid-tier. The mid-tier who who are willing to do a medium amount of work to do (laughs) uh, a cosplay, like, I think kicked that can down the road a little bit. So so we did miss out on people who like to put a mid-level of planning and don't want to just wear a jacket that says variant or whatever. (laughs) Not a lot of Deadpools, right? Yes, which I think would be ideal (laughs) because it's already got a mask on. And only a few Harley Quinns. Yeah. But those folks in the variant shirts, like, you know, I I give them a tiny golf clap. Like, that is a cosplay that I would be willing to put together. Ooh, and I will turn it into a couple's cosplay, and then my dreams will come true. (laughs) One day, Lisa. But this question does lead into another question quite well, and it comes from at Glenn with two N's underscore match it with two T's. Oh, yay. Uh, And they ask uh, some of your favorite cosplays this year. My personal fave was someone who is doing a Ghost Rider cosplay complete with bike that they had mounted on like this tricycle thing (laughs) and it had the flaming wheels and the flaming mohawk and a super rad spiky jacket. It was a major production. And on a year where we're you know, hoping people will social distance, an ideal tool for keeping people away from you. <laughs> yeah, and w- when he was wandering down the aisle, he took up the aisle. Yeah. Uh, my favorite cosplay we first spotted while we were in line waiting to go in on Saturday, and it was a guy in a full head-to-toe Captain Carrot furry costume. Uh, and, like, I... Love Captain Carrot. Now, I never read the classic Captain Carrot comics, but I adore Grant Morrison's interpretation of the character in the multiversity. And to see Captain Carrot in life, it was just incredibly 
uh, inspiring. And when I saw them in line, you know, I took like a, a photo from a distance and we all talked about it with each other in line. Like, oh, who's that guy? And I got to go like, oh, the multiversity. And talk to people about Grant Morrison. <laughs> but then I was like, once we get in that hall, I got to find them again. And I, I, the whole Saturday, I just kept my eyes peeled for Captain Carrot. And eventually we found them in the artist alley. And I was like, hey, can I can I snap a photo? And, you know, I hate to interrupt cosplayers as they are, you know, experiencing the con themselves. You know, they're looking through long boxes. They're buying art from Artist Alley. And I really dislike interrupting people while they're trying to, like, you know, engage with Artist Alley because those artists in Artist Alley are, like, struggling to gain cash. But when Captain Carrot's around... Priorities. Priorities, right. And so, you got a great picture. So I, I asked them the, if I could take a po- photo, and they went into full-on pose mode, and it's a it's a glorious picture. I love it so much. And I've never seen a Captain Carrot at any of the conventions that I've gone through in the 30 years of going to conventions. That was definitely a first. So fist pump. Uh, and then there was a guy who was dressed as Cable. I posted a photo of him online as well. Uh, it was a very strong Cable cosplay. And there were like there were some others, but th- like yeah, those were definitely my favorite. You didn't mention Soundwave. Oh my god! I always respect when someone pulls off a transformer. Uh, yeah, that Soundwave cosplay was unreal. And uh, I spotted him crossing the street outside, using a crosswalk like using, a true hero. <laughs> using the crosswalk and you know i wasn't going to stop him because he's out in the world in disguise in disguise (laughs) rolling out uh and but as i saw him crossing the sidewalk i had to like run up and snap some photos and then he saw me taking photos of him in the crosswalk and he stopped in the (laughs) middle of the street to wave at me and pose and i was like no 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 you can keep walking you can keep walking don't get hit Oh, man, that would have really changed our day. It would have. It would have. Uh, but yes. So uh, Captain Carrot is my number one. Your Ghost Rider is probably my number two. And then Soundwave is my number three. Nobody's asking us, though. There was a proper there was a proper contest that we did not attend. Well, one day we'll be judges. Oh, yeah, Lisa, we have press badges now. So now we're just like part of the con family. I'm inserting myself into all the activities. Yeah, that's right. We're insisting on it. Yeah. Uh, And then uh, final question. Uh, This one comes from at Sergeant SGT America. And they ask, where did you eat? Ah, this is excellent question. This is um, this is a sorrowful. This is disappointing. <laughs> this is a disappointing answer. Well, not in the morning. Uh, well, we, we can, in the morning we went to Bobby's Bagel Cafe, a local place, right? And we knew that we probably were not going to have the best options to eat in the afternoon. So we carb loaded. So we carb loaded. We had some massive Impossible egg and cheeses. Although we also learned that the Impossible egg and cheese comes with the Impossible possible patty that tastes more like a hamburger than a sausage and that the egg itself was still just a regular egg. And so was the cheese. And so was the cheese. So, but uh, I didn't have I didn't have the egg and the cheese. I'm still uh, better than you. Yeah, yeah, but I had it. Uh, so we carved up. Uh, but I still found myself getting hungry, but because of our uncomfortable uh, reaction to not wanting to exit and re-enter, we decided to like, well, let's go get a muffin and a coffee. But when we went to the uh, uh, the little eatery area that they had sanctioned off and like every convention, like the food is 
It's the pits. Yeah, right? yeah. Like hot dogs, pretzels, burgers. N- none of it's ever like the best version of any of those things. Yeah. Uh, but at the Baltimore Comic Convention, they had somebody selling like full slices of red velvet cake. So, yeah, Brad enjoyed a red velvet cake. <laughs> I had a coffee. Uh, I had some of your coffee also. And I had some of your cake. Let's yeah. be real. And that cake was pretty darn good. Yeah. So that's all we ate at the convention was a slice of red velvet cake. And no. I should mention that Bobby's Bagel Cafe is not in Baltimore. We did it no, before no. our drive. Yeah, we did it before our drive. It's out here in Reston. Um, now, normally, and I wish we had done this, uh, we would have sack lunched it. Because uh, that's what we do at San Diego. Uh, you know, we build our own lunches to our tastes, our desire, to our energy levels. Yes. And, you know, we usually find like a little corner and go scarf down our food that we have made for ourselves rather than eating those disgusting pretzels and hot dogs and hamburgers and all that stuff. Yeah, we're, we weren't on our game, you guys. No, because, you know, uh, the same reason why there weren't as many cosplayers was probably the same reason why we weren't as normally prepped for this convention. We didn't do a lot of pre-gaming. Yeah. But the long and short of it is we had a really good time at Baltimore this year. We did. And, uh, you know, for a con that I was so eagerly anticipating, it really did deliver on all fronts. Uh, In the community, in shopping, like I bought some Destroyer Ducks. I found a bunch of Monkeys comics. You got a ton of Monkeys comics. You got a really cool art piece, a perler bead, like, corner box of Hellboy. The artist is Adam Conkle at DragonIron7 on Instagram. And what he's doing with those itty-bitty beads that you, like, you put them on, like, this thing and then you melt them all together, mm-hmm. like... Like, I've never seen anybody do something of this size. Yeah, and, you know, Mike Mignola's design, his style, it really fits well with perler beads. Yeah, it lended itself nicely, and they're just super nostalgic for me. And so to see someone take something that you're like, I remember doing that when I was in sixth grade or whatever, and and doing, like, some real art with it, it just blew my mind. I think that... That because this was our first con in a long time, maybe we also, you know, spent a few extra dollars than we normally would. We were buying, you know, the stuff that we were hunting for, like those monkeys comics, like Mm -hmm. the Dick Tracy stuff. But also like when I came across a dollar box or a two dollar box of singles, I was going to like find all the gold that there could be mined and I would I would come out with a hefty pile. So we had we we only brought one backpack and we probably should have brought two backpack or not spent as much, but we loaded that backpack up to a point where I got home Saturday night and I had a sore back cuz I'm so old and frail. <laughs> I think it was all well worth it. And and especially when you're supporting independent artists. So yes. Like I'm like, oh, you know what? Well, yeah, yeah, and and those sellers are independent sellers and you know like this is a community that really needs our money right now so i have no guilt about you know spending a little extra this year uh i just think it was a sign of like <laughs> how desperately excited i was christmas to came early for the gullickses yeah, that's for sure yeah. and, and i've already started like looking at like well what other conventions could we swing by this fall like we're not going to be going to chicago 
to C2E2, although I would love to. One day. Uh, but, you know, there might be some more local cons. Like, I, I've pulled that Band-Aid off. I, I, I now want to really scratch that scab. Gross. But, like, the other really cool thing was that we were able to meet up with Kat Calamia and Phil Falco, two creators that we just had a conversation with about their latest Kickstarter campaign, Slice of Life. And so we had this chat via Zencaster, and you're about to hear it, but then like a couple days later, we actually got to meet in person at their booth and also purchase their anthology comic by visibility, chat with them for a little while, have... You know, that awkward enthusiasm. uh, Of making a new friend. Of making a new friend. And and it was just, like, it was really just lovely to be able to connect in person. In person. Like they did it on Little House on the Prairie. I don't know why that was my first thought. I was just like, it's like the old days. Old days. (laughs) But instead of being under, like, a a covered wagon, we cover our mouths because of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, Slice of Life is a super cute, I hate to use the word coming of age, but there is, there's teenage girls in it. Well, I mean, they talk about it as a deconstruction of the slice of life genre. And we get into that a little bit because it's a, it's a, it's a variety of slice of life subgenres that they're picking apart. But the story is there are twin sisters. One of the sisters is like super into this anime show called Lady Vengeance. That's Raven. And the other sister who humors her about 60 (laughs) to 40% of the time. That's Lucy. Until one day. Dun, dun, dun. The main character. Eureka. Comes to life and enters their lives. And then it's like kind of like the mall scene in Bill and Ted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. (laughs) It is a little bit like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure at times. Uh, But like the comic is having this conversation about, you know, coming into your own sexuality, but also this idea of fandom that we all recognize, that we all partake in, where sometimes we're like, Star Wars is, it belongs to me. You know, for Raven, Lady Vengeance belongs to her. It should operate in a certain way. And if Luke Skywalker were to suddenly appear before us, step out of the TV screen and be a part of our lives, and if that Luke Skywalker didn't behave the way we no, Luke Skywalker should behave. That would infuriate. And that kind of happens here in Slice of Life between Raven and her idol, Yuriko. I super identify with that because I was one of those tweenager, teenagers who completely defined myself not by who I am as a person, but what I like as a fan. Sure. I think a lot of people do that. I certainly am still that way. I didn't mind being the weird monkey girl at my <laughs> high school. I knew I was definitely the only one. That's not true. My friend Laura also. Yeah. And don't worry, listeners. The monkeys comes up in this chat with <laughs> Kat and Phil. That It does. It does. So um, I don't think it needs any more setup. What do you think? No, I, I think we're good. I, you know, like this conversation, once we got on the line on Zencaster, we just go right into it. So there's no kind of like, hey, how you doing? It's just like Lisa goes right into the question and we're off to the races. Yep. Enjoy. What I love so much about Slice of Life is that it pairs 
the experience of blossoming sexuality with fandom. And I think that fandom for a lot of young people is that safe space where they can explore and express their sexuality in the context of, I'm just a huge fan of this or that character. So I was just wondering if this is something that both of you can relate to and who were some of your early character celebrity crushes? Ooh, okay, Phil, why don't you go first? Sure, so uh, starting with the first part of the question, uh, totally, totally agree that, uh, you know, that's something that we were very interested in, the relationship of, you know, fandom and this this fictional character who, you know, our character Raven uh, has latched onto comes to life. And, you know, there's a beautiful side to that, you know, that Lady Vengeance that our anime character brought to life means so much to her and potentially, you know, millions of other viewers of the anime. But there's also a a toxic side to it, a, a mm. problem wherein she feels a certain ownership over Yuriko, over Lady Vengeance and, uh, you know, the way that she has to be. So, you know, we, we love complication. Um, we do. You know, we don't want to give like an easy, straightforward answer in any way. So that's definitely one of the things that we're most excited to explore, to continue exploring as the story goes on, both, you know, what does Lady Vengeance mean to Raven? Why is she and so many other people in love with this anime but also you know do does raven have a right to te- to uh, a right of ownership to yuriko which you know spoiler alert not not really yuriko's her own person now she she gets to live out her own life and you know make her own decisions and you know i think we've as creators we've seen great people great fans and we've also seen like a handful of you know toxic fans who, who do feel a little bit of ownership and uh that's something that we're really excited to explore yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I couldn't have said it better. I, I agree. I think, it, you know, as much as this is a commentary on life, it's a commentary on storytelling and, and how that could kind of relate to each other. So that's something we we're really proud of. But going into that, the even uh, that other fun part of that question, <laughs> celebrity crushes, that's so hard. Uh, you know, I'm bisexual. So, mm-hmm. so many, right? <laughs> yeah, so many different, uh, different ones. Uh now we're talking like animation or does it have to like or get, anywhere. Uh, so I, anywhere I will open okay. with when I was in middle school, when everybody else was into like NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys, I decided that I was into the monkeys and I made my whole <laughs> life the monkeys. And I dreamt about going back in time and marrying Mickey Dolenz. It was just completely weird. But I like how you're saying this in the past tense as if that's still <laughs> not the case. I love but, that. Know, I, I'm. We have a like time travel wise open relationship. I hope yeah, that okay, I can sure. marry anybody back in time. If it's a monkey. <laughs> if it's a monkey. Um, it's in so, recording now, so you can't go back on it. <laughs> um, so, I, like, I'm I'm curious about like that very like specific time in your life. Like, what did you glom onto a character or a few characters uh, like Raven and and Lucy have? I mean, I feel like I have. Like, I always had favorite television shows growing up. Like, I think my first favorite TV show was probably Lizzie McGuire. And probably mm-hmm. my first celebrity crush, too, just not knowing that in the past. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like, I, I like that. I, I was a big Heroes fan, a big Smallville fan growing up. So I don't know if it was to the extent of Raven, but um, – I don't know. It's so hard because I feel like back then, I mean, we're both 27. So the online community was there, but it kind of, there's not Twitter and Facebook type thing. Yeah. So I think I just watched the show. I went on like maybe a forum 
Um, I talked about the episode that I left and just didn't think about it after, you know, like, oh, I love the show and I can't wait for next week. And maybe like, like, who was I talking to about it? Not, not many people besides like, I guess myself and like my dad or something, but even people like friends I had, they didn't watch Smallville and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if I really had that in that regard. Funny enough, we both were really big Young Justice fans and that's kind of how we... Weirdly enough, Matt, I, that's, it's hard. It's okay. It, why don't you describe that story? Cause it's like a, it's an interesting one. Um, yeah, we, I, Kat had been reviewing comics and, you know, uh, you know, geek properties on YouTube for years. And I had, you know, seen her because there's, there's not a ton of people reviewing comics on the weekly. So, you know, I would always come across her when I wanted to get, you know, what are, what are people thinking about this issue I just read? And it turned out that, Kat went to school with a, and was friends with a friend of mine who I went to middle school and high school with. And she made the introduction and I was like, Oh, I know you from your videos. And then we never talked about comics. We no, just, uh, for like years. We just like, <laughs> we hung out. We go to movies, <laughs> yeah. we play video games and never talk about comics, despite, you know, both of us being very into them and Kat being a creator at that point, And I hadn't started yet until I was thinking about, you know, starting my own comic. And that's when we started talking about it. Um, I feel like we, we got off the beat here when it comes to... We did. To- <laughs> we don't have the, the full question. But uh, yeah, the celebrity crushes growing up. Uh, I, had a, I had a big crush when I was in like elementary school. I used to watch Batman the Animated Series a lot. And yeah. I was always had a crush on Nightwing. I was not- going to say, I, was, I hope it's not Bruce Wayne. No, Nightwing. No, Nightwing. Not with the mullet. I didn't like I liked I liked Robin. The mullet. Mm, I wasn't a mullet. <laughs> I, I was a mullet boy in, my, in, in elementary school. Um, I didn't know it was a crush because I didn't know what gay was at the time but uh that was probably one of my earliest crushes and then uh you know shout out to, to Zuko and Avatar in middle school Zuko's I, pretty hot yeah yeah I, I really enjoyed the angst I was a I was an angsty uh preteen boy so those would be my answers sticking in the animation front I, so I, the animation that's so hard but like Kara Kara's hot from okay. like Supergirl Supergirl oh, yeah uh, so uh, what inspired you you guys to take your relationship to the next level and create some comics? And become business partners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you share <laughs> a really? link tree. I mean, that is very intimate. That's true. We always talk about our intimate relationship of, of being business partners on a daily. Uh, yeah, what made us have that jump? We, we Well, you were doing haunting and I was like, you know, I was giving you advice about like, kickstarter and stuff like that and then one day we said you know we both liked each other's properties a lot and we're like let's do a crossover that'd be really cool it was funny because it started as a joke because you know she has a superhero book at this time we were talking about a crossover between her superhero book like Mm -hmm. like daughter and my horror book haunting we were just like oh you know imagine a crossover where the characters meet and we were just playing around on halloween yeah Uh, like a little drunk that's a halloween of last year (laughs) a little drunk socially distanced in the backyard we were all just uh like oh what would happen and we were like really having a good time with it we were imagining like a scooby-doo like scenario where like they're all just like trapped in a school with zombies and ghosts and you know the our two main characters of our respective series are butting heads over their very different reviews on differing views on their like respective powers and you know, after I'd say an hour or two of joking, it wasn't so much a joke anymore. You're like, why haven't we done this? Like, why haven't we written together? Because we would always look at each other's scripts. We'd always like, you know, be attached to each other's projects in some way. And then we did the crossover. And then it was so easy. It was so easy. Working. Like it was the fastest we ever put something together. Um, and then from there we said, okay, we have to do another project together now. And we both said we wanted it to be a queer project because we spend about 40% of the time we talk together <laughs> talking about queer things. Um and we were also both had our eye on Webtoon. You know, all of our previous experience with comics had been 
through self-publishing, through uh, Kickstarter. Yeah, traditional, mm-hmm. you know, crowdfunding on Kickstarter. But we both had our eye on Webtoon and we loved the inclusivity of Webtoon. There's so much queer content on Webtoon. And it's also very, just a different audience. Exactly, a very different reader base. Um, and then that's where Slice of Life was born. You know, we Kat suggested we have our next project should be a queer project on Webtoon. Um, Slice of Life, the, the very basic idea of Slice of Life anime character comes to life was something I'd been toying around with, but never really got anywhere with. And then, you know, we, we got together and we, we nailed out the first script, probably the first, the outline of the the series. And then the first script within like, like a, a week or two. Yeah. It, it yeah. was quick. I re- well, yeah, I would say pen to paper. It was probably a month, but like just talking about it. Like I remember like we knew, like obviously it really, as we talked more, like these characters became characters. I would say Raven in particular, she really was just a fan and now she has so many layers and that's been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like we've learned a lot throughout the process but it was like really easy and it's always been really easy to work together yeah, that's good and uh, you know we're working on another project right mm-hmm. now too so like it's, it's definitely great you know being friends and you know co-creators it's like we i think we work very well together we're very good at bouncing ideas off each other and we also like the same things when it comes yeah. to writing you know we both enjoy the same aspects of stories so it's been, a, it's been a great time. But also as business partners, sometimes we need to take a break. So we do know that we can't always talk about work, even though we love to talk about work. We do give ourselves like a day where we're like, okay, a business cat, business fill is, is off the clock. Let's be friends, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you got to strategize. You know, like I'm relatively new to Webtoons as a, uh, as a consumer, and I've discovered that uh, I love it and that you can race through comics so quickly yeah, there's on like webtoons a, an efficiency to it there's an efficiency Absolutely. and also the community around it is so warm and inviting like it's such a pleasant experience for me um and coming into slice of life you know when i saw the setup you know i have i have a lot of complicated feelings about fandom as a fan uh, as somebody who's been re- you know reading comics since they were 10 years old and you know, obsessed with science fiction since I was two and I saw Star Wars. And so when I encounter characters like Raven, where I see so much of myself in them, and as you were saying earlier, Phil, about the, you know, that ownership, that possessiveness that we can sometimes have, I was nervous, like with the representation of her fandom. And I was so pleasantly surprised and I'm excited to get more of her story as it develops through this trilogy of relationship or this relationship trilogy that we have, but it is layered. You are commenting on, you know, the problematic sides with fandom, but also not skimping on the sweetness and the love that's there. And I was just wondering if the two of you could talk about your own relationship with fandom and wanting to represent it in a positive way, but also recognize maybe, you know, some of those toxic aspects as well. For sure. I think like, because for me, like a lot of my job is on social media, uh, especially like looking at comics for social media. Uh, And I've been a critic for 10 years, um, over 10 years. So it's, it's, it's so interesting because I always feel like I've came from a different side of fandom. Like I started as a fan and just a fan and then I started critiquing. So, and becoming a journalist. So that's a whole different side and, and seeing, you know, 
how entertainment could be used to, you know, talk about news and, and make money in that regard too. Um, and, and what type of headlines you need and, and stuff like that. But then on the flip side, being a creator, like also seeing someone digest your creation and seeing, you know, people be fans of your own thing. And, and I think the most fun part, at least as a creator side is always seeing what they guess and be like, Oh, that's not what we thought. Oh, that's kind of <laughs> interesting. Um, but yeah, the fandom toxicity side, um, I think there are a lot of great fans out there and I, and I love that aspect and I love the passion from people. Um, I think it's just respecting people. I think that's the best thing. I think with social media, especially Twitter, um, it's kind of like a sheep mentality where everyone has to have the same opinion. And I think we need to learn that, you know, storytelling is vast. You're allowed to have your own opinions. Even the creator could be wrong. It goes into like the death of the author. Like that's always been a subject. I mean, at least I'm interested in is like, as a creator, are you the right person? Like, or is the person digesting your, your work, the right person? And just because the creator thinks one thing doesn't mean that's, you know, Bible. It doesn't mean that's the truth. It, like it depends on how the reader takes it. So I think everyone's individual experience is valid. And I think that's where people get really caught up on is the creator and saying, well, the creator thought this, you know, they, they thought this, that's what's right. And I don't mm-hmm. think there is a right or wrong. I think you should digest the media, the media as you will. And I think that's why me and you especially like kind of open-ended questions where we really try to explore that. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, one thing I'm really glad that you commented on, uh, Brad, was the, you know, the multiple sides of fandom and, you know, you see it as somebody who's just being a part of fandom for all your life. Kat and I aren't really interested in, in, you know, flat characters or like, you know, one, one sided arguments. So I think, you know, we're Raven sticking with Raven as an example, you know, she's a fan. She has some issues when it comes to fandom, but that's not all there is to her. She's also funny. She's warm. She cares deeply about her sister and she cares about Yuriko as a person, even if she gets caught up in her, in her fandom mentality, you know, that's this story, the slice life story is, you know, and as much as it's, uh, Yuriko and Lucy's story, you know, Raven also has her own story journey. about life. It's, yeah. a, it's not a her story just about romance. It's yeah. a story about life. That's the thing that we're most interested in, you know, deconstructing life, the slice of life genre. And from the perspective of an anime character who comes to life, has to learn what is everyday life. Like your entire life was plot driven before you never picked out your own clothes before you never went to school. You never really had the chance to make friends. You know, at least she didn't in her in her particular anime where she was very alone, sol- alone and uh, very action oriented. So, you know, in as much as it's about Yuriko learning how to live life, and in, in as much as it's about Lucy accepting her sexuality and you know, uh, becoming a couple with Yuriko, you know, it's also about Raven learning uh, how to be a friend, be a friend, how to be a better person, um, a better sister, a better sister. What aspects of her fandom are good are beneficial to her and to you know other people and then what aspects might have toxic implications that she's not aware of and of course other characters you know at this you know we've already introduced Dante in chapter four Lucy's boyfriend you know Mm -hmm. he has his own journey we're really excited to explore and we're already planning the introduction of other characters we really view this as kind of an exploration of life for young people figuring out who they are and you know in part of that is who they love where as we said we're very interested in the uh, sexuality aspect and the queer aspect, but also just you know, who they are as people and, you know, what they like and how they figure that out just by, you know, living life and, and loving who they love. Why I love the title of the comic so much slice of life is you enter in and it's a slice of life of Raven, you know, consuming media, cherishing, loving, 
this program, Lady Vengeance. And then it becomes this slice of life for Yuriko, which is magical and unlike any other slice of life that you could possibly have. And then you have the coming out slice of life story as well for Lucy. And, and so, you know, when I initially saw that title, I was like, uh, like, I don't know, if, like, I don't get it. But then as you read it, like, it just becomes a, an even better title as you progress through the story. Well, what I really appreciate about that slice of life idea is by having a character like Yuriko, where she doesn't have a story off screen. And because she doesn't yeah. have those stories off screen, she does not have a rich life. And so now... Lucy and Raven have the opportunity to appreciate those between like in comics, like between panel moments, like, Oh, actually that like what happens that's off screen or whatever doesn't seem story worthy is what makes your life real. You know, mm -hmm. it's so interesting because we, it is hard to come up with this title. Yeah. Uh, one of them I think was between off the pa off, off panel, panel was one of the working titles. <laughs> Um, cause if we're thinking about like the Scott McCloud book, I was thinking about like, oh, how important paneling is and like what happens in between a panel, what happens in between sequences. I'm like, oh, maybe we could use that in some way. And we didn't do that. Um, I will say like, it's, we love our title. We love our logo. The only downside is the searchability of Slice of Life. Because yeah, it's, it's like genre. Genre. Um, <laughs> but I agree with what you said. I think it's a, a great title. Cat gets credit for thank the title. You, you. We, we went back and forth for a long time before we landed on Slice of Life, but you know, it is, kind of perfect for us because it really is a story about life about deconstruct you know the slice of life genre is all about you know just a day in the life stories without like a real overarching uh plot line or overarching uh you know character mm -hmm. uh, momentum well, i shouldn't even say that there could be character momentum but just you know without an overarching story and you know this story has an overarching story you know the it's driven by the romance and it's driven by Yuriko learning to live in the real world but the way she does that is just by having day-to-day -day life that she didn't have before you know so I think and same with every character every character is figuring themselves out just by living their lives so I kudos to you Kat for for coming up with a good <laughs> title I know it took us a while but uh, I'm happy where we landed even what? if it hurts our search metrics it does a little bit we're the GL so helps us a That's little true. bit <laughs> Um, one thing that makes webtoons so different than just like your regular comic book paneling is that it's paneled vertically. And, and then, um, so a lot of the pacing is created by vertical space and, um, coming from like, perhaps cat, a critic's first mentality of how are people going to view this comic? Like, um, how did you guys... Uh, coordinate in the design of the paneling for the web too. And then to translate it to the the physical copy. Right. Yeah. That's that's really intriguing too. You know, we have to honestly give major props to our letter that does the webtoon, which is Garth Mathams. Uh, he does, uh, he actually has a webtoon original, which Creek Road. Um, you know, I've been friendly with him for a while, actually through like being a critic. Like I, I think I reviewed his comic before it was even on webtoon and like we've stayed friends throughout that. I remember when we were going to do webtoon, we were just asking him a question. You know, we just wanted to know more about webtoon and publishing on webtoons. We messaged him and he's like, oh, hey, Garth, like, can you just tell us a little bit about what we should do, what we should prepare for? Because we're trying to look for a letter. We're trying to like, out, you know, make the outline uh, or format correct for this. And he's like, sure, like hop on with a phone call with me. And like, he gave us the best advice. And, he, and we were like, yeah, we're still looking for a letter. And, you know, this is going to be the price we're going for. He's like, oh, I could letter. 
I'm like, that would be absolutely amazing. So he's doing the lettering for the webtoon. So a lot of, uh, at least the spacing I would say has been on him. And obviously like we have our notes here and there about it, but like I have to really give a big props to him. Yeah. The, uh, the web, our webtoon, I think a lot of them start out like in the traditional comic sense as sequential pages, which are then broken up into the vertical scroll for webtoon. You know, that's how we are able to, to do our print version so easily. We don't have to work backwards. Yeah. It started that way. Um, And you know, like Kat said, major props to Garth. I think, one of the best parts of the web of the scrolling format is just, you know, what with comics, the page turn is crazy is super important. Cause you know, when a when a reader turns to a page, they could see everything on it right away. So mm-hmm. your biggest chance for a reveal is when we get that page turn. But on Webtoon, every panel is a potential reveal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's something we've been really excited to play with. And you know, it's it's I think there are definitely scenes that work very well in the printed version still as well, but there's also like a shock factor. Like when Yuriko first comes to life at the end of the first chapter, you know, I think the reveal is a little slower. You know, we get to see Lucy come in the room. We see her shocked expression. Then we see a zoom in on Yuriko and then we see the whole room. She's standing in there. I think it's one of the, one of the beauty. That's one page in the printed version. It's a great page, but uh, I really like the the slow burn, the slow reveal as we ease into the room in the webtoon. Scroll. And we need more cliffhangers too. So because we break it up in like, traditionally it'd be like three to five pages each chapter. But like a when we write it, we write it as like a full chapter. So a full chapter could be like 10 to 15 pages, depending on the chapter. And then we have to break it up into parts to make it on the webtoon. And you have to figure out like, what is the cliffhanger of every like little part on the webtoon as well. So when you're reading it traditionally, you're going to have a lot of cliffhangers, not just at the end of the issue, but like on multiple pages, which is really interesting. Do you think that um, thinking in terms of like the smaller chunk, like cliffhanger, do you think that's going to influence your overall writing or how you approach different stories in the future? Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah, I think honestly, right now we're working on a traditional comic, like super traditional direct market stuff. And the way we're writing is very, I think like, okay, so what's the exciting moment of this scene? I think when like we're writing haunting or like father, like daughter, they call her dancer. I honestly really thought more of like, what's the exciting moments of this issue? But now that we have to break it down so far in with um, Slice of Life, now we keep thinking, okay, what's the cliffhanger of the scene? Like, mm-hmm. what makes this scene in particular this important? Or, like, how can we make it tight and the pacing um, good? And I think it just has just improved us as writers. Yeah, 100%. I think um, what's interesting about Slice of Life, you know, every chapter is shorter than a traditional comic issue. So, you know, it's helped us both in terms of, you know, we are writing uh, – very succinct scenes, you know, this chapter, this chapter is nine pages versus the traditional 22. Um, I'm sure that if we wanted to, we could stretch it out to a full, any chapter, I'm sure we could stretch out to probably a full issue worth of content if we need to. But we to. don't feel like that works for Webtoon. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the charm of Webtoon is the the kind of smaller moments where we're getting these glimpses into their lives in these particular moments. And one thing that that's definitely impacting, like I said, our future writing but it's also just like an exciting, it makes writing this comic feel different from any any other project that we're working on where we have to be very conscious of the entire issue that we're building towards versus here we can really hone in and, you know, we could focus in on this aspect we have to hit for this chapter. And then this yeah. chapter, the next chapter, we can go in a completely different direction. As um, I've well, been... Um experimenting with webtoons and uh, Marvel's new infinity thing. Like I'm shocked at how 
uh, often I am either giggling with excitement <laughs> at a reveal or gasping. Yes. Like, like it is a totally different, unique delivery system with all kinds of different tools at its disposal. Oh yeah, for sure. We're, we love it. It's so interesting too. Like right now, um, we just got the art for a, a chapter, like five, five pages long and it's a softball chapter. Like in a regular comic, you might have a panel to tell the X-Men who's like, you know, they, they threw a ball, someone hit a home run. Okay. Now let's move on. Like this is five pages to talk about softball. Yeah. Just like <laughs> just another small moment in their life. We have the freedom to tell like a really, so you know, just to give you the context, our first chapter, our opener is 12 sequential pages. And, you know, it's our opener. There's a lot happening. We're introducing anime and the characters that needs more pages, but then we can have the softball chapter. That's just five pages. Just the characters play softball and yeah. they get to, you know, have a good time and Yuriko gets to learn a sport. And we have the freedom to be very flexible with uh, how much space we want to tell a particular story. Um, so what does break tone too, though, because the reason we did the softball chapter is not because like, oh, we need a softball chapter is more like, oh, this last chapter was really heavy. Let's do something that's a little lighter. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's see the character, you know, maybe the characters were split up for a little bit. Maybe we haven't seen Raven with Lucy and Yuriko. Let's, let's do this chapter in between where we could just have a light moment, see a glimpse into their daily life, which is something that, you know, Maybe you wouldn't do in a traditional comic because it's not as slice of life oriented, but Webtoon, you know, loves that. A lot of Webtoon readers want stories that are just every day is, is the, what are they doing today? No, no yeah. big, uh, no big moments that tie into like a greater uh, story. So it's really great to be able to kind of mix that aspect of storytelling. Another thing that I have really come to appreciate and admire um, about you, your work is the idea of creating more by visibility and um, how you really partake in like attractivism. Like this is a warm place. This is a great place to be. And I was just wondering, like, what are you looking forward to in the future where bisexual individuals can feel more seen? And, and are you in a place right now where you're feeling optimistic about this future? Oh, for sure. You know, this whole bisexual anthology I did uh, has opened my eyes to how much, I mean, we already knew we needed representation, but it really opened my eyes to how much we need, but also how much we've had to, I think in the past couple of years, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't really think about like that really, you know, good bisexual re representation there or there. And obviously, like, I think we're just scratching the surface, but I, I do truly believe it's really important. Um, and obviously in the last couple of months with Tim Drake and John, we're, we're seeing a little more. I'm really happy to see that. I hope we continue to see that. And in my projects, at least, it's going to be something that's important. It's so interesting because uh, because we've been showcasing by visibility so much because we we had it on the on the webtoon when we were promoting the the Kickstarter. A lot of people thought Lucy was bi, and and she's not. You know, but what's funny is that Yuriko is pansexual. So it's like it's kind of fun to see. Like we obviously are still having bi characters, but it also felt really cool because most people, I think, in that situation, be like, oh, she's just a lesbian because she's just talking about girls so it's kind of cool to see people open their minds say but she could be bi you know mm -hmm. so uh and then obviously us having a pansexual character is gonna be really exciting and we're gonna explore that as well um and honestly all my projects it's something I, I really would love to explore and 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 continue to grow even if it's not just like oh it's just about their bisexuality like just having bisexual characters are important and i think that's going to be a big difference between yuriko and lucy lucy like her everyday thought processes I don't want to be gay, you know, like, I mean, I guess it's a little bit of a spoiler, but it's, it's, um, in chapter four, it's, it's kind of written in between the pages. 
that's kind of her story arc. So, um, but with Yuriko, we're going to see a very different story arc from her and, and her view of sexuality. And I think that's really fun as well. Yeah, definitely. One thing we're really excited about with Slice of Life is the opportunity to explore a lot of different sexualities and give representation to a lot of different groups. And mm-hmm. you know, like, like we said before, you know, every character has their own life and their own story that we are hoping to follow, even if, you know, Yuriko and Lucy are our leads. Um, so we already have like a lot of plans for, you know, what's this character's journey. But we're not a checking of, a box either. We oh, are very much telling a story for every sexuality that we have. Yeah. Every sexuality that fits with, uh, you know, the characters that we're introducing, of course, story comes first and, uh, you know, uh, bisexuality is of course, very important to us. Kat is bisexual. Um, and you know, we had a really great time putting bi visibility together. We're already planning another volume of that, um, very soon because of the, the love and support that, uh, the project got. And, you know, we're really excited to explore bisexuality in bi-visibility, explore Yuriko's pansexuality, and then uh, so many other sexualities in Slice of Life and our other properties, because I think all of our properties have... A little gay. A little gay. <laughs> <laughs> a little of us has to bleed in there somewhere. Well, we're so excited for everything that you guys are doing, and we're excited to get more Slice of Life and you know, we're excited to get a physical copy of Slice of Life in our hands. And uh, the Thank Kickstarter, uh, well, uh, if people are listening to this right now, the Kickstarter has launched and we'll have links in the show notes for people to click on so that they can back the project. But for those that, for whatever reason, don't wander into my show notes that I put so much effort into. put together. He loves to <laughs> whine about it. Not enough people are using those links. But if somebody uh, would like to follow you and not click my links, but would like to find your own links, where can they find you to continue this conversation? Yeah, um, you could find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Falco writes, and you can find Kat at Comic Uno. Everywhere else. Everywhere else. <laughs> Twitter. Twitter is usually my big place. Twitter is her big place and YouTube as well. And, YouTube. and, you know, you can find Slice of Life on Webtoon and on Kickstarter uh, through both of our social media accounts. So, you know, definitely check us out there. And then, yeah, the Kickstarter, uh, honestly, type in Slice of Life Kickstarter, and you'll be able to find it. It'll be pinned on my Twitter. It'll be pinned on yours as well. So it, it should be easy to find. Well, Kat and Phil, thank you so much for joining us here at Comic Book Couples Counseling today. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, Have a wonderful afternoon or evening. Thank you. You too. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And there you have it, Kat and Phil. Please, guys, go support Slice of Life. Lisa and I have backed the project. We went in on the plushy level. We wanted a Eureka that we could snuggle. Of course. Tonight is Tuesday night. They've got 313 backers. That sounds unlucky. (laughs) I think we should probably uh, bump that up a little bit to a more auspicious number. Where are they on their goal dollar-wise? $8,247 towards their $10,000 goals. I'm sure if you did some quick math, that's a high percentage. Oh, that's awesome. They're definitely going to (laughs) make that goal. Uh, You're going to want to be a part of this. Yes. Don't you want a plush? It's almost as good as being in person. Remember in person? (laughs) In person. It's Mm. almost as good. Snuggle that plush. Uh, But there you go. That's going to do it for us with this episode. Of course, we are still in our Dinah and Ollie conversation, and we are very close to dropping that episode. However, since our last episode on Green Arrow Quiver, we have come to a new decision 
Originally, we were planning on covering the Green Arrow Black Canary Wedding Special and just issues one through four of the main series, but then we read those comics and Lisa was like, Bruh. We can't just leave Connor in a coma. <laughs> yeah, we That's rude. <laughs> we can't end our epic conversation on Green Arrow and Black Canary on such a down note, so we've decided we're going to cover the entire run, so the wedding special and all all 14 issues. Of course, we're also enjoying it and very, very much. Yeah, I'm like, I've already completed it. I really, really like it. I'm very excited to record that episode, uh, but we need a little more extra time. So we've decided we're going to drop this episode right now. You're listening to it. And then right on the heels of this, this week, don't worry, not a whole week, but right on the heels of this episode in a couple days, we're dropping another really rad conversation and this one with Douglas Woke, the author of All the Marvels. That's another opportunity to hear me nerd out over a creator I think is super cool. Yeah, this book, if you haven't heard, it's about Douglas Woke's experience of reading every Marvel comic book since 1961 and the inception of the Fantastic Four. Now, there's an asterisk there. Uh, he has some rules of what would qualify as an official Marvel comic. But I feel like that's a spoiler. Well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it in that conversation. It's like uh, the book is out now. Uh, I would recommend it. I would really recommend listening to the audiobook, which is what Lisa and I did on our many trips back and forth to the Baltimore Convention Center this past weekend. Yes, the author reads it himself, which is my preferred audiobook method yeah. for nonfiction because then you don't have that filter of this other reader. Right. You, I, I feel like you get a lot of, I'm reading in between the lines. I'm listening <laughs> to his vocal tone. I'm picking up what he's putting down. So, yeah, go seek that out. Join us in just a few days for that conversation. I think you're going to have a lot of fun with that. And then we'll be back to finally finish our Green Arrow Black Canary run. And then in November, we're jumping into a new couple. And it's a weird, weird couple that I am very excited about. And I hope you guys will be just as thrilled, although I'm a little worried that you won't <laughs> be. Uh, but yeah, there you have it. It's time to get out of here. Brad, I, I know that the convention is over, but I just... I just really want to go stand behind somebody. I think I'm going to start a queue for something. Oh, boy. So where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Get in line with me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, mm. you can join our Patreon. 
where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. Guys, we've recorded nine hours of Sandman conversation on our Patreon. I'm so proud of those episodes. It's some of the most fun I've had with a comic book and the way that we're reading the comic book week to week over on the Patreon. It's just unlike anything else I've ever done in my life. Will we still be this excited? 75 <laughs> issues in? You'll just have to wait and see. I, I, I think so. Uh, but if you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yeah. We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy. Bum bum ba da bum bum ba da bum.